All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Um, what we're doing today is we're actually finishing our Thrive series. And we hope that you've been encouraged, strengthened, provoked, and even um, uh, really inspired to pursue God and his people in a brand new way through this Thrive series. But today what we're doing is we're actually finishing this series by looking at one more instance of Isaac's life and his encounters with God, what he learned from those encounters with God, and what principles were to take from that encounter with God to apply to our own lives. And so today we're going to end the series Thrive by talking about thriving in God's plan. Thriving in God's plan. And to do so, we're going to focus on this statement today, that we will thrive in every season when we learn how to sow into that which God is doing. We will thrive in every season as we learn to sow into that which God is doing. We're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about the fact that God has a plan. And oh, isn't that good news? Secondly, we're going to talk about sowing into that plan. And then finally, as a result, we're going to talk finally about reaping with Christ. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might live a life abundant in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray that today that by the revelation and inspiration of your word, you would help us to love and worship you more doing things your way by faith in you, and therefore sowing and then reaping that which you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about the fact that God has a plan. And what we need to realize is that to thrive, we must acknowledge that God has a plan in the place in which we find ourselves that it's always easier to look at the green pastures on the other side, hoping that something will be better, bigger, and broader wherever we're not presently. But the truth of the matter is, is that God wants to teach us to thrive right where we are by understanding he has a plan in the place in which we find ourselves. So we're going to open our Bibles today to Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. And if you would, read along with me through verse 5. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here we see that Abraham, um, the 
father of Isaac, was called in Genesis chapter 12 out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and was called to uh, Canaan, which is known as modern-day Israel. And <clears throat> his son, Isaac, who was the child of promise, was to live in that same land. And he was to thrive, and he was to flourish there. And he was to ultimately obey God, fulfill his commandments, be an example to the nations around him, and then ultimately fulfill the purposes of God in the land to which God had called him. But unfortunately, in Isaac's time, just like in Abraham's time, there was a famine in the land. And everyone, what we need to know is that everyone, even the people of God, experience times of famine when they're living in a fallen world. We'd like to think that if we're just living for God, we would be uh, separated from or um, be released from having to pass through difficult times. But the truth is we all suffer the repercussions of living in a sinful fallen world. And Isaac, in this case, was no different. But what you do during times of famine matters more than you actually realize and can affect your destiny in Christ. That's why we need to look at what God's showing Isaac here and then understand how it applies to our relationship with God today. God made sure to intervene for Isaac and really to ultimately cut off our natural human proclivity to take flight when times get tough. I know that's my natural proclivity, and I'm sure it's many of yours as well. But Isaac learned from God that we should never make life-altering decisions in the midst of famine, in the midst of difficulty, without first seeking the counsel of God. That's why even Proverbs chapter 3 says to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he, God himself, will make your path straight. But we may miss the voice of the Lord if we only make decisions based on the felt needs that we perceive. Now, when Isaac had a decision to make, he was obviously able to say, look, there's a famine in the land. I'm not able to feed my family right here by what I naturally see. Let me go down to Egypt. Egypt was a land that was flush and um, um, brimming with not only life, but provision at that time. And Isaac could have thought, as opposed to God's instruction, that I can, just for the time being, do what naturally seems reasonable and go down to Egypt to find my provision there. But God had to intervene and say, don't do it, Isaac. Don't do it because I have something for you in the land to which I've called you. And there is a promise on the other side of famine when we ultimately cling to the unchanging purposes of God above and before our circumstances. So what did Isaac actually learn about God's plan during this time? Well, what he understood, what he learned was that God cares more about where we live than we actually do. I know coming out of this pandemic, it was very easy for people to naturally be part of the new diaspora and to really, because of things like remote work, say, you know what, I have an opportunity here, there, or everywhere, and I'm going to go and do what I've always wanted to do without actually consulting God. But that can be a dangerous thing, just as it was in the case of Isaac, because God actually has a plan for the place where he's placed you. Isaac found this in this instance, and it's a, it's a principle that we need to learn for our lives as well. Where you live should ultimately be a calling 
and not just a concern in your life. I'm going to say that again, that where you live should ultimately be a calling as it was for Isaac and not just a concern in your life. And when we embrace this biblical truth, we learn to thrive living productively in the land to which God has ultimately called us. This means that we begin to serve our cities rather than using them. I know that many people from the Midwest come to a place like Chicago because they come from smaller towns and they want to use the city for the thrills that it can provide or even for the partial kingdoms that it can help them build. But then after they're done with it, leave it to the death and destruction that many times are in the reports of the papers about it. But when we have a calling to an actual place, as God had a calling for Isaac in the land to which he had called him, then we also understand that we have to spend time in them if we want to cultivate them and not just comment on them. If we want to cultivate them and not just comment on them. And what we see is that Isaac was wealthy, having received an inheritance from his father Abraham and had the means to leave Canaan during the time of famine or any other time that he wanted to for that matter. Yet God instructed Isaac to stay. God actually instructed Isaac to stay in the land to which he had called him rather than opting for the freedoms that his upwardly mobile life provided so that Isaac might fulfill God's plan to build a legacy for the kingdom of God in that land. And do you know that your life is significant unto that purpose as well? Wherever God's planted you, he's planted you to actually establish and build a godly legacy for the kingdom of God in the place and amongst the people to whom he's called you. So the question is, what do we do with our freedom and mobility? And even before that, what is the vision that God has given you and the people with whom God has called you to walk, to be productive in the land to which he, not we, have called ourselves? Where, what is God's vision for the land in which he's called you to live and how does he want you to participate in that? Well, there was a purpose in God calling Isaac to stay. And we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why was God so intent on Isaac remaining in the land in the midst of famine? Well, we know that when Isaac went into the land, it was populated by people who did not know God. And in the midst of the people who did not know God or did not worship the one true God of heaven and earth, the creator of all that we see around us, God knew that he would provide for Isaac, even in the midst of the famine, but was determined to also preserve something through Isaac's influence in the land. And the reason why is because something, something will always fill the intellectual, spiritual, and cultural voids of our lands. Something will always fill it. Fill it. There will never be a time when there isn't some sort of predominant intellectual, spiritual, and cultural tide that's driving the cities in which we live. And the void will either be filled by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And as a church, Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But too often the church has abdicated its role to be salt in the industries, cities, and nations 
because they have been swept up in delusions of comfort, wealth, and personal satisfaction above all else. Yet Jesus warned of such things in his teaching of the parable of the sower. You might remember that from Mark chapter 4. But when we are more saturated by our culture's ideas of fulfillment, what will actually make us happy? What will actually make us successful? What will actually have us living our best lives now? When we're more saturated by these ideas rather than being driven by the pleasure of God, we abdicate territories, whole territories, to Satan, being relegated to merely commenting on the violence, corruption, and sin that have filled the voids in our lands that Christians have unfortunately left. I can't tell you how often I talk to people and they tell me in the news all they hear about the city of Chicago in which we live is about the violence, is about the uh, corruption, is about all the different things that God wants to deal with. But instead of actually coming to address these things, Christians abdicate their role to leaving that place and commenting on it rather than being the salt a preservative or flavoring agent amongst the people of that city and then changing it to the glory of God. This is why notable theologian John Piper actually said this in terms of the Christian's responsibility that was foreshadowed for us by Isaac. It says, he said, the task of all Christian scholarship, not just biblical studies, is to study reality as a manifestation of God's glory to speak and write about it with accuracy, and to savor the beauty of God in it, and to make it serve the good of man. It is an abdication of scholarship when Christians do academic work with little reference to God. If all the universe and everything in it exists by the design of an infinite, personal God to make his manifold glory known and loved, then to treat any subject without reference to God's glory is not scholarship, but insurrection. And though he's applying that to studies at the moment, it really applies to every and every, every and any area of our life that's not submitted to the lordship of Christ and also given as sacrifice to the glory of God. So the question really becomes, what are we to do with our lives? When we have so many freedoms, when we have so many opportunities, and we're told over and over again, it's your world, dog, and I'm just trying to live in it, and really you could do what you want, when you want, but the scripture clearly says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for the Christian, but not everything is constructive or builds up the kingdom of God. So how should we live if God himself cares about where we live and what we do with our times in the places in which we find ourselves? Well, we are to sow, the answer is we are to sow into the plan of God where we find ourselves. We are to sow into the plan of God where we find ourselves. And to thrive, we must learn to sow where God has planted us. We have to learn to sow where God has planted us. And when I'm talking about sowing, I'm talking about an agricultural term like sowing a seed. And in Genesis 26, verse 6, it went on with Isaac's story. It said, based on God's command to stay in the land, even in the midst of the famine, it said, Isaac settled in Gerar. 
And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, meaning Rebekah, he, meaning Isaac, said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Not a bad problem to have, right? <laughs> it's sort of like she's so attractive that I fear for my life that other men might be so attracted to her that they might want to take my life. Now, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah's wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, this is a strange story, and I'm sure none of you would do something like this, or you better not, okay? But the thing about it is, why was this uh, an issue in Isaac's life? Well, why was this even a thought that Isaac would do something like this? Well, basically, it reminds me of that old, old 1980s adage when people were talking about the issue of drugs and drug abuse. And there was a father who came into the room and found his kid's stash of drugs under his bed. And he said, why are you doing this? And the kid responded to the father. He said, I learned it by watching you, okay? meaning that the child started their own drug use because they watched their father's drug use. And in the same way, this, this indiscretion, this horrible treatment of his wife and his spouse in the midst of this context, Isaac learned it by watching his father Abraham. And by the command of God, Isaac did well by settling in Gerar and not leaving in the time of the famine but what God knew was that not only to affect the place for the kingdom of God, his life had to intentionally be sown there, but there were other lessons that Isaac needed to learn to be the man of faith, the seed that God wanted to sow into the land. And by staying in the land and having to have those issues come up in his heart, come up in his soul that he had to deal with when he was in the land, God was able to sanctify him, purify him, and make him the man of faith that God called him to be that would be ultimately an example to the nations. And when God calls you to stay in a place and actually deal with your stuff, deal with your issues, it's not only for his glory, but it's for your good that you might actually be released of the things that were even habitual or generational patterns broken off of you. Because if you're always on the run, always going to places where people do not know you, you have no accountability, and ultimately you can hide in the new environment in which you find yourself, God is not able to get in there and deal with the stuff that he wants to, to ultimately set you free and allow you to thrive. But in Isaac's case, he says, stay in the land, deal with your stuff, and I'll make you the man that I've called you to be. And the first lesson that Isaac had to learn is that to thrive, he needed to realize that the environment is not always the problem. The environment is not always the problem. We often, when we have challenges or things come up in our lives, we want to point to the environment as the problem for our issues. 
But what Isaac saw was it's not the environment, it's my life patterns that are the problem that need to change. And instead of me trying to run to another place to fix what's going on inside of me, I need to get before God and allow him to deal with me by his word and by the Holy Spirit to break those patterns that have been handed down to me, those sin habits that have been handed down to me so that I might in fact be made a new creation and come into the life and the glory of God. To thrive, Isaac had to break those faithless patterns that were passed down to him by his father Abraham. But not only did he have to learn to do that, but during his time of uh, famine, we see that it's no different for us today in Christ, that how he was going to break it was by learning to sow something different than he had actually been handed down. And where his father Abraham went down into Egypt in the midst of famine because of fear of lack and then fear for his own life because Isaac's mother, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was also beautiful. And Abraham had the same fear of how the people of the land would treat him because of his wife, Sarah. Isaac had to learn to sow something different, no longer being driven by fear and self-preservation, but instead being driven by faith in the purposes of God. Both Abraham and Isaac had to learn that God had a plan that was bigger than theirs and involved a place, a people, and a purpose if God was going to bless them. And it's no different for us in Jesus Christ today. The truth of the matter is, is that we've got to sow in the land that God's called us to by sowing something different. It went on to say, as we go back to Genesis 26, and Isaac sowed in that land. When he had settled in Gerar, it said that he sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. So he obeyed the voice of God, said, I've got some patterns in my life that I need to break. I need to hear the word of the Lord. I need to sow according to the word of the Lord in the land that God called me to so I could deal with what's going on in my own heart and my own soul. And he says, as he sowed in that same year, by faith, he reaped a hundredfold. It said, the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines, meaning those who were looking around him, who lived amongst him, who were observing his life, who were probably living in similar patterns of fallenness and sin prior to Isaac's change and being sanctified by God, they began to look at him and the fruit of his life, and it said that they began to envy him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled the earth of all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And so what, were, what was happening here? Well, what was happening here is that when God had called Isaac to a place, a people, and a purpose, and he began to sow into that plan of God, sow into that purpose, in obedience to God's command to stay into that uh, stay in that land so that God could fulfill his purpose through him what happened is that he learned and understood finally that most people end up in 
unfulfilled wanderings throughout their lives because they forsake one or all of these three, three things about which God is concerned. They either forsake the place or the people or the purpose that God has for them. And when they forsake one of those three things, they end up in unfulfilled wanderings, even in their lives as Christians. Yet God was determined to teach us, to teach Isaac to live by faith, and he's determined to teach us to live by faith as well, using life circumstances, vis-a-vis, -vis, in Isaac's case, the famine, or in our cases, something like a pandemic to teach us these things saying, I want you to, even during challenging times, to learn to respond and live by faith and knowing that God will supernaturally provide for you as you sow into his plan, even during times of famine. Isaac didn't hoard his time, talent, or treasure in the midst of the famine, but he knew that each of these things were a seed that he could either, number one, consume and have no more, number two, hoard and have nothing but false security and wasted potential, or number three, sow and reap a harvest in that same year. And by faith, he learned to sow in that same year and reap a hundredfold. So even in famine, what we need to learn from this lesson is that the place of God's choosing, not ours, is where we will most thrive. And you think about that in your marriage. Think about that in your city your ministry assignment, and maybe even the career to which God has called you. You need to know that you will thrive when you learn to sow the Word of God into each of these areas to shape them rather than letting your fear of lack in these areas shape you. And learning to sow by faith in the land which God has given you will allow you to thrive in any season despite the circumstances. So the question is, if that's the truth, what types of famines have you experienced recently in your life? Have you experienced famines relationally, in your marriage or parenting? Or how about in your career or financially? What about even spiritually before God? In what ways does God want you to sow by faith into that which He is doing to bring a harvest in the very place that you thought there was nothing left for you. You see, that's the lesson that he was teaching Isaac. Not only do I want to break old patterns, but I want to bring you into a place of learning to sow by faith my word into all areas of your life that you might find the place, the people, and the purpose that I have for you that you might thrive in every season. And when you sow by faith into that which God is doing, like Isaac, we begin to thrive as we enter into God's divine calling on our lives. That even in times of famine, there is a calling that will allow you to thrive. But it's not based on your own efforts. It's based on the grace, the goodness, and the calling of God. But this is why a woman named Christine Kane said, you can't submit a resume for divine calling. A calling is initiated by God and has more to do with his plans and purposes than our dreams. You see, it all centers around him and where he wants us to be and what he wants us to do rather than what we think would be best for us. So what was the result of Isaac sowing into God's plan? Well, the people began to envy Isaac in the land, not just because Isaac got lucky, but because he obeyed God by faith and began to reap the fruit of that which he had sown. 
And many times when people see your marriage or they see your kids or they see your um, your peace of mind and your mental health being in a good place. They say they wanted it, but they don't want to do the work of sowing by faith to get there. But God doesn't work that way. The same principle of doing things God's way and investing into what God is doing will apply to our marriages, our child rearing, relationships, work in ministry, uh, ministry life, as we learn to sow by faith into God's plan. And when we do, we will not only sow by faith, but we'll also be able to reap with Christ. And ultimately, when we talk about thriving, we will thrive when we find the life-giving waters in the land to which God has called us, digging them along with those with whom God has called us to walk. And let's end in Genesis 26, starting at verse 17. It says, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And that's what some of you need in your souls, a real settling of your soul. It's been up and down and tumultuous, and it's been on fire this past year and a half. But you need a settling in your place. You need a settling with your people. You need a settling in your purpose and in your soul. And Isaac finally settled in the valley of Gerar. And Isaac, it said, dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And so maybe you, like living this Christian life, you believe the right things about who Jesus is, but you haven't actually found or followed the ways of the Lord. And so the wells that actually brought life to the people of God in times past, just like the wells brought life to Abraham and his family prior to Isaac's time, have been stopped up in your life. But it said that Isaac went and found them and he gave them the names that his father had given them. He once again got into this word and said, God, show me the ancient paths. Show me the way that you said to do things that once again with the people of God, I might actually dig these wells that will lead to the life abundant, the thriving that you have for me when I give myself and sow into that what you're doing, doing things your way. Not mine. And as Isaac learned that there will always be a people, a place, and a purpose for you as you follow God, it was ultimately a foreshadowing of all that would be accomplished in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ comes to live the perfect life that we should have lived as an example of perfect obedience to the commands of God the Father, showing us that way that we should have gone interacting not only with the Father, but the people of God, as we should do in our lives by the Word of God. And then ultimately, because of his sinless life, he was a perfect sacrifice on the cross, dying the death that we should have died because of our rebellion, our selfish living, our myopic living in rebellion to God. When God said, stay, we went. When God said, don't touch it, we touch it. When God said, don't lift it, we lift it and consumed it as our own. And God says that Christ on the cross paid the penalty for our rebellion against him. But because of his innocence, three days later, he rose from the dead to not only give us the opportunity for forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. New life in him. He says, leave those old ways, stay in the land to which I've called you, and come into the life abundant that I have for you when you learn to live the life of faith. 
And today, if you are saying, I hear you, but I've never given my life over to Christ. I've never come into his ways. I've never stayed in the land. I've never done things his way. And therefore, I'm reaping the penalty for all of my decisions. But I want to turn over my life over to Christ today. If that's you, let's end today with prayer. Saying, God, I want to come into the thriving life that you have for me. The life abundant that you have for me. By staying in the pocket of your word. By staying right where you want me to be, with whom you want me to be. Doing things your way, God, and learning to walk with you into your place, your people, and your purposes. Ultimately, when we do that, God will not only change us as he did Isaac, but he will not, not only make us new, but he will bring us into the life that we actually long for in Jesus' name. So before we pray, let me end by saying this. Again, what is the, um, God's plan for the place where we live? It's number one, that we should be provoked through that place to seek him and his word. That's what the Apostle Paul talked about in Acts chapter 17 when he was talking to the Athenian onlookers. Number two, that in seeking God, we should encounter him in Christ, his son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then number three, that encountering God, we should become testimonies of thriving in every season by God's grace so that others might come to know him as well. That was the life of Isaac. It was a foreshadowing of our life in Christ. And it's yours today if you choose him by faith. So let's end with a word of prayer. If you need to come into relationship with Jesus today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner and I know that I've lived a life of selfishness. I've lived a life on the run and I haven't thrived in my life because I've been trying to do things my own way, going from one famine to the other and ultimately coming up short again and again. And I know if today I was to stand before you, I would receive death and judgment but I don't want it. And God, I'm asking you today that you would forgive me my sins. I turn away from whatever the Bible calls sin, and I'm asking you to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus went to that cross for me, took my punishment, took my shame, and three days later was raised from the dead so I could have new life in him. God, would you make me a new creation today, showing me how to love and follow you for the rest of my days? I say Jesus is my Lord, and I thank you. Amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ. And for the rest of us, let's commit afresh to trusting Almighty God, to being where he said to be, with whom he said to be with and doing the things that he said to do, that as we sow in faith throughout our lifetimes, we might thrive in every season, famine or not, in our land and beyond. In Jesus' name. Hello, friends. Welcome back. What a powerful time in the Word of God. We we're trusting and believing that it is doing what only the Word of God can do, that it is encouraging convicting of sin, leading you to Jesus, the Son of Righteousness. And now we're going to take the sacrament of communion. And so, if you don't have your bread and your juice, go ahead and grab it real quick and come on back here. Uh, so what we're doing right now, we're remembering that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, 
in whom all deity dwelt, came and lived the perfect life that no human, you, me, could have lived. And by doing that, he's removed the pressure that comes from that. And then he died the death of a sinner, though he himself was righteous by going to the cross in our place of sinful humanity, you and I. And then he rose from the dead three days later, proving that he was the perfect righteous son of God and that he's pleased the Father and that the power of sin and death have been broken. And then he said all those that believe in him would never be put to shame. And so today, that's what we're doing. He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so as I was preparing for today, I felt like the Lord wanted to deal with anxiety in people's lives today. And so that word anxiety in the Greek, uh, when it's being talked about, it talks about distraction. It talks about not being able to focus on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And therefore, we become distracted and anxious forgetting about the abundant forgiveness, the abundant grace, the abundant mercy that is in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to take our eyes and we're going to take the eyes of our heart and we're going to say, Jesus, you have done it. It is finished. And now I'm following you. My goal in life now is to love you, to be with you, to obey you. And I receive what you have done for me. So let's partake together. And so we're going to take the bread now. And Jesus, as he was with his disciples on that night, he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And so if you believe that Jesus' body was broken for you, for your punishment in your place, you can partake of this bread. And then as he lifted the cup, he said, this represents the blood of a new covenant in my name an eternal covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be made right with God once and for all. And so today, if you're trusting in Jesus or renewing that trust in Jesus as the Savior of you personally, as the Son of God, you can partake of the juice. Ah, and then he promised that as we repent and turn to him, times of refreshing would come upon us. So I pray now that as we go back into a time of worship, that the refreshing of God would come upon you and that you would worship him in spirit and truth. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. We're going to continue to talk about these things in our community groups this week. So if you've not yet found one, please do go to our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you this week, so please let us know how we can be standing with you. And do also think about your family members, co-workers, and friends with whom you might share this link so that they might also be encouraged by the grace of God. We hope you'll invite those same friends to church with you next week during our service. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.